I have an urgency to tell stories in a way that I didn't before because the reality is you only really die the last time someone says your name. And I have seen that more. I, I didn't come up with that. Somebody else did. But the reality of that really hits when you're in the hospital with that person who's passing away. My mom passed away at the end of 2017, beginning of 2018. And I just, I'm like one of these guys that has to make stuff. Like I, you know, I've always like written blogs. I've always like made YouTube videos. And until very recently, uh, most of them have thankfully gone unnoticed. So anyways, when my mom died, I'm like, okay, I kind of want to start documenting this, this grief process. And so the podcast was really just like this, I needed to do it until it was done kind of thing. Like I needed to get it out of me. And it lasted about a year, nine episodes. And uh, it's been described as like, this is really pretentious me, like talking about like nice reviews of like nice shit people have said about me, but uh, as like an emotional geography of grief and loss. So it is that like really up close, like raw first year when you are just going through those like brutal shock stages of like, what the fuck is going on? And dealing with that while also trying to tell the stories while they're fresh because the more distance you get away from them you kind of romanticize them all of these crazy things start happening into to your memory and it's actually a biological response that your body creates to make it less painful right so that when you remember them it doesn't it, you you so you would never get stuck there emotionally or mentally so uh so I, that was the that was the the impetus of the podcast and i was at this point i think like i said similar to where you are where i'm like Man, am I gonna be the fucking grief guy? Like, <laughs> am I like, you know, is this thing gonna be like the most defining thing in my life? And this is what, and and like candidly, at the, up until that point, that was the most successful thing I had ever done on the internet and or content that I had ever created. So I was like, man, this is maybe this is my fucking thing. And so I took some time away to really think about it. And, you know, it's been five years or four years since I did that. And I found other avenues to tell that story. But I think I think it is what it is. Like, I think it encapsulates that moment pretty well. And I'm OK to leave it there. But th thank you for asking. Yeah, no, of course. And uh, I, I think that's a good kind of transition into the conversation because I'm curious about what you felt in that first year. I mean, this is going to be an overall conversation about, you know, your experience with death and losing your mom and, of course, other people. But that the fact that you have that documented in this podcast that you created several years ago is interesting, too, to kind of, if you were to listen back to it, to see how you felt in the moment and during that first year comparatively to where you are now years later is interesting. So what was that first year like, let alone from the first day through that first year? What were those raw emotions that you remember so vividly? So the first year is a little bit this is messed up to say it is easier and harder than any year you're going to have to go through afterwards. It is easier because your community, your family, your friends, they recognize that this terrible thing happened to you. And so the first Mother's Day without your mom, the first birthday without your mom, the first Christmas without your mom, people call you. People say, hey, I've been thinking about you. You want to come over like we made you cookies, all that shit. Right. And so it's beautiful because you have this beautiful community around you that's that's supporting you. And it's terrible. But, you know, death is a catalyst for people coming together. And then, of course, it's it's god awful because you're going through your first Christmas, you, all of these things where the, you know, the events where the absence of this person is just 
so stark. Like it is just reflected so deeply in the joy that used to be there. And you don't know how to have a Christmas without your mom yet. You don't know how to have uh, a Mother's Day without a mom yet. And I'm sure, I mean, you've had a lot of Father's Days without a dad. And, and, you know, every time you open Instagram, you're just confronted with this barrage of like, ah, ooh, you know, like, and you do your best to turn it into something that is special for you or, you know, whatever. But still, it's it's so raw. And so in that first year, again, uh, losing a parent is a, is a rather large magnitude loss, right? It's not like losing a, a dog or maybe even, even a, a friend. Losing a parent changes your relation to the world. I'll give you a quick story. So I'm a competitive cyclist. Um, I have raced bikes for 15 years. And before my mom passed, I had these situations where I was descending down a hill. I ate shit had to go to an emergency room, had surgery, stuff like that. And the worst call that you have to make is calling your mom from the hospital, calling your mom from the hospital bed. I mean, any kid who's, you know, played with firecrackers or donated, you've had to have this, like, I did something dumb and I hurt myself. The, the, you know, my parents have invested a lot of time and energy in me into this vessel. And I, I fucked the vessel up, uh, (laughs) And you know what I mean? Like, there's no greater, like, loss of response. You know what I mean? Anyway, so uh, calling your parents from the hospital is terrible. And once you've had to do that once, twice, three times, you start to, as you descend, hit the brakes a little earlier. You start to take less risks. You start to, and uh, Jimmy Chin, the photographer, cinematographer, talks about this as well. You have a promise, like a little promise to yourself where you're like, man, I do not want to make that call again. I I can hear my mom's voice in my head. I'm going to pull back. And then I remember. And so it just became this internalized uh, almost buffer was really nice. I remember riding my bike in the first few weeks after she passed and hitting those corners where I used to hit the brakes and having that don't want to wash out here because you're going to have to. And then, whoa, there's no one on the other end of that phone call now. And that sort of responsibility uh, for yourself in the world is because, I, you know, I am I'm an atheist and no disrespect to anybody who has a, has faith in, in God or the afterlife, et cetera. Uh, but that's just my personal belief. And so I feel like when someone is gone, they are gone. And so I don't even have that spiritual connection with the person as I'm like, you know, about to hit that turn and just thinking like there's just going to be no one else on the end of that call. I'm I am the one responsible here. Which even as an adult, even in your 30s, you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> like, I'm fucking responsible for this. So anyways, that's that was a lot of those little moments in that first year you have because you're still I don't want to say like denial, like it's not like you're actively like somebody asks you about it. You're like, yeah, my mom passed away. But there's a part of your brain that's still not making those connections yet. And so it's coming to terms with those connections with like every little thing. So how do you, how do you find yourself coping with that? Like it was, I mean, it was bicycling a format of expression through your grieving process, or did you have any other modalities that you felt worked for you? Man. So that's a great question. I don't know that I did anything particularly well. I think the podcast was really great. I think having this, this bit of catharsis, but with, with men, there have been studies about the role of catharsis, particularly like physical catharsis. Um, That is the act of expressing your emotions through physicality, right? Like hitting a punching bag and, or, you know, going on a really hard 
hard cycling ride. And it's 50-50. 50% of the time, that uh, activity exercises whatever that terrible emotion is. And 50% of the time, it amplifies it. And so, yeah, so it's, it's a really intense, uh, it's a gamble. Um, so for me, exercise has always been a really important thing. I'm a brown belt in jujitsu. Um, I've been training for like 10 years that, that was really good. Honestly, like burying myself in community was the, the absolute best thing. Uh, it was a hard year. I got married that year. I got married about six months after my mom passed away, but I also had, and I got, la- <laughs> I got laid off four days after she passed away. Um, yeah, it was fucking brutal. But for me, I think I'm big community person. So the more I could surround myself with people and the more I could talk about it, uh, allowed it to, to be more bearable. Right. How how was that process to be able to talk about it? Cause that, that's a big, uh, thought in regards to this podcast, because I, I have a think about, uh, it's like 70, 30 ratio of women that listen to this podcast and 30% men. And I, I want everyone to listen to it, but I'm like, how do I get that ratio a little more balanced? Because men just, you know, you know, I think, uh, societally or just statistically have more, uh, difficulty expressing themselves. I think that's pretty, pretty known for the most part. So how did you make that term? Was that someone you always were in regards to expressing yourself and being comfortable speaking about it? Or was that a process that you had to figure out? So David, it's interesting you mentioned that, and I don't want to lean too into like gender norms, but you're a young man who is primarily raised by a woman, I, I assume. Yeah, um, three of them. Yeah. And so, so likewise, right. And so I was raised in a house where emotional conversation, being able to talk about that stuff was very normal. I, I also kind of a weirdo, you know, I was in a, I was in the hardcore punk rock scene for a long time at, at a time when I think it was, we were a little bit more, it was a little bit more of an outlier. Like I think hardcore and emo music is a little bit more mainstream now, but back then it was like, these are kind of like the kids on the outskirts. And, and because of that, there are some, maybe there's some outlier behavior that's just normalized in that community. Like I remember hugging my friends, like my male friends in high school, right? Like that was just like a normal thing that I did. I would go to a hardcore show and you would hug your friends. And I remember thinking like, man, I don't see other people hug their friends. And so having like, being comfortable with expressing my emotions is always something that I've, that I've had. That said, I think the challenge for me, I'm, I'm probably an oversharer. The, the challenge for me is that I started to feel a little unhinged because of how much I needed to have that conversation. So I would be on the mats at jujitsu after, after rolling and somebody would ask me something and I would start to talk about my mom, you know, and I could sense in them the discomfort because they didn't know how to receive it. And that was the challenging thing for me where I was actually eager to talk about it. I didn't want to put people in the uncomfortable position of having some person be like really emotionally vulnerable with you, like, you know, trauma dumping and having them be like, ah, what do I do? I don't know what the right thing to say is because I think it is not normal to have those conversations. So I think I was, that was the challenge. You know, that's an interesting point. I, I feel like I, I've had a hundred and whatever, 15 episodes, and I feel like I haven't even discussed this enough is, you know, it's always normalizing the conversation, being comfortable talking about it, but the receiving end is an interesting aspect because hand in hand, 
not being comfortable talking about a conversation or your feelings or this or that, you know, the receptor is just as important because if you don't have someone receiving the information or receiving your emotions in a way that you're comfortable with, then that's almost going to, you know, maybe it's going to make it even harder to talk about it. So that is an interesting thought to make sure, you know, you have someone willing to listen or willing to talk about, which I think, you know, that's a big part of this platform and making these conversations. A lot of people don't have that in general. You know what I mean? Some people don't have the bouncing board. I'm I'm blessed to have a great support system. And I always think about that all the time, that there's so many people that don't even have that. So I'm hoping a platform like this and you sharing your story is, you know, not quite that talking front, but the comment section tends to be a way to vent and finding those people. So for anyone listening that doesn't have that personal connection with someone perhaps that you feel like you can talk to. That's what I'm hoping this platform and someone like you speaking about um, is able to do. And sorry for that rant. I tend to do that. Um, but I, I did have a question in regards to your, you know, you said you were an atheist. What what drove you? Why are you an atheist? Was there anything that occurred in your life that delivered on this belief system? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, and, and it's one that I get. So I talk about atheism rather candidly on in in my uh, TikTok and on Instagram and I actually just did this week and so and without fail some very nice people in the comments will say oh it's okay like you know Jesus is here for you etc uh you know your soul is whatever and I that's very kind of them to have that sort of to want to share that that with me because it it serves them it's just never made sense to me and I, I, in my darkest times and in my happiest times, it's just never been there. I, I don't have, you know, I, for me, I'm a big fan of Occam's razor. Uh, the idea that, you know, that, that the most likely explanation for things is probably the one. And, um, and so I have never personally just had a faith. I, I respect the role that it plays in other people's lives. And I actually, I think that, religion as a form of helping people with morality and navigating like kindness and, and being nice to people and good people in the world has some major positive effects. I think that's a, a solid thing. I just don't have it. I, I can't articulate it other than that, that when, you know, at the end of the day, there isn't a, a part of me that can truly say that I've comfortable with it or I believe in it. Well, thank I you wish, sure. I wish I had a better answer, David. You're like, Hey, why don't you believe? And I'm like, I don't <laughs> believe. No, I mean, there's no better or wrong. It's just, that's your answer. There's nothing. I think it's great. I, I appreciate you even sharing that. Cause you know, it's, it's not, a, it's a sensitive topic to some people. I find it fascinating, all different beliefs. I was always curious as to what drives people. Even I, sometimes I question myself and I have to think about my patterns of beliefs and why do I believe that? And I, I, I think it's just a fun conversation. So I'm always interested in hearing, uh, but I, I'm, I'm also the dynamic. I know you kind of, you kind of brought it up in regards to your story, bicycling for the first time after your mother and she wasn't potentially going to be there. She wouldn't, wouldn't be there for that phone call and kind of in relationship to your belief system, being an atheist, I just wonder what is that relationship to your grieving process? You know, cause so many people rely on their beliefs, rely on, I'm going to see my father someday. Uh, I feel their presence or I've had this experience that, uh, that makes me feel in touch. I've had a prior guest that literally said she felt more in touch with her mother, her father after they died. You know what I mean? And as an atheist, you don't have that. So what is that lack of belief or there or is a belief essentially, but what is that relationship with being an atheist and grieving? Yeah. So that's a great, a great question, a great observation. Um, 
one, it creates a, a, a greater sense of, this is shitty, but it creates a great, I, I don't mean to say it like this, but a greater sense of personal responsibility for me to be the arbiter of the stories, right? As I, as I mentioned to you before, uh, my mom died shortly after, my grandfather died shortly after, my grandmother died. A whole side of my family just disappeared. And the, the only person that knew anything about that world was me. And so with being an atheist, I feel responsible for carrying whatever that world was that we made, right? All those memories, all of those little things, like the job of carrying that on is now mine. And so for me, that actually, I think to your guest's point, it actually does make me feel in some ways closer to them, right? It does make me feel in some ways like I think about them more frequently because I don't have the faith that their spirit, their essence or whatever it is, is still somehow around contributing, that I am the one responsible for it. And I, I think about it a lot. I, I wouldn't say I think about it more or less than another person, but I'd say I still think about it quite a bit because I feel like that's the only way I'm going to that's the only way I'm going to experience it again is by my own memory and retelling of it, if that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. Actually, I never even thought about it that way, that you know, people lean on the fact that I might see someone again or some people and the fact that you don't believe that it forces you to kind of think about them more because that's the only possible experience that you'll believe you'll have with them again. Is that right? More or less, yeah. God, that's intense. That's the wrong person to say at this time, I guess. But that, <laughs> that's a really interesting. That's a really interesting point to think about. That. Um, wh where are you today with you know, not having your mom and uh, and remind me how long it's been since she passed. Yeah, so uh, just about five years. Uh, it's five years. you know, so we talked about that first year after they're gone, and it being really intense because you're having all of these firsts, but you have that community around you. I now have. Uh, two kids. You can probably hear them in the background. My apologies to the listeners. They're adorable. Just imagine the cutest little fucking kids you've ever seen. Like when you listen to this, the annoying sound in the background. Um, and it is so intense. So my mom, my mom uh, had me when she was 23. So um, she was a young mom and the majority of her life, she passed away at 57. She was a mother. Being a mother was a huge part of who she was and how she contributed to the world and obviously how I related to her. Being a dad is, and I, I'm, I just turned 40 and I've got these young kids and I ha keep having these moments where I'm like, holy shit, my mom did this when she was 26. Like I have a three-year-old, he's doing this crazy stuff. She handled this as a 26-year-old. As a 26-year-old, I was getting my car impounded for not paying parking tickets. What? You know what I mean? Like things like that where you're just, you have this, massive respect for a person and you want to be able to call them and say, you killed it. Like you nailed it. I was a shit as a teenager. I am so sorry. And you don't have that ability. And so in some sense, the grieving is really intense lately because I'm seeing, I'm experiencing a very intimate part of her life for the first time, even though I had known her for so long. And because of that, again, to that, your other guest's point, I do feel closer to her these days. Yeah, that's remarkable. Again, I, I honestly would have never, me personally, I would have never thought that, you know, uh, being an atheist would actually have those thoughts of bringing someone closer. So I'm actually happy you mentioned that. That's, that's, that's why I love these conversations because I, and exploring these conversations because, uh, you know, I, when I start, when religion starts coming up and beliefs, 
my community is tremendously respectful for the most part, but you know, it's hit or miss as the following grows and whatnot, you're going to get the negativity. So again, I, I implore people, in my opinion, to have these conversations, to explore different perspectives and, and listen to the other person because you do it in such a respectful way. You're not diminishing other people's beliefs that we, we all have our beliefs. And I've always said, I mean, it's either everyone's going to be right because maybe what we believe is what happens or most people are going to be wrong and one group is going to be right. I don't know what's going to happen. So it's, it's interesting to me. And I know this is maybe a, a summarized question, but what is your relationship to death in regards to with your experiences? How does that shape the way you live your life? I wish it did more, honestly. Um, I wish it, I would love to tell you that like, I'm like, a full send like YOLO guy now. And like, I see things and I'm just like, oh man, like this is it, this is our chance, this is our opportunity. Uh, you're, you know, life is short, life is fragile. You've got to go do it, you've got to chase the dream. And I wish I was a little bit more like that. If anything, I'm a bit more cautious, <laughs> uh, which is a very practical response. Um, and in other ways, I'm a bit more, I have an urgency to tell stories in a way that I didn't before, because the reality is you only really die the last time someone says your name. And I have seen that more. I, I didn't come up with that. Um, somebody else did. But I, the reality of that really hits when you're in the hospital with that person who's passing away. And man, when my mom my mom died. It was so intense because her decline was so rapid. She had stage four cancer. She had been kind of having a cough. She'd been sick for six months, but it was this cough. And she kept going to the doctor and the doctor's like, ah, maybe it's pneumonia. Maybe it's this, maybe it's this. And, and then it was this really, anybody who's ever lost somebody to cancer can probably relate, particularly over the holiday. So during December, everything is kind of fucked in hospitals, like more fucked than normal. And uh, no offense to healthcare workers out there, but um, because of the holiday, lab results take longer, um, biopsy results take longer, all of these little things, right? Even to get into your biopsy, even to get your PET scan or your CAT scan, all that shit. It's just like, it's so backed up because people are trying to take time off, understandably, humans are humans. And my mom went in for a biopsy, she went under general anesthesia, and she was not, we were hanging out with her, it was, this was right around Christmas, and she was not coming out of her general anesthesia very well. She was having a really hard time, really sick to her stomach. Her health was like kind of declining after this. And it's like, oh mom, this is like a pretty mild procedure. Like, but I also, I had a hard time when I went under general anesthesia for surgeries. I'm like, ah, maybe it's just something about our, our DNA. And between her getting that biopsy, her getting a diagnosis, which was stage four cancer, uh, and her ultimately passing away, it was like three weeks. And so it was like, you're a normal ass person eating hamburgers on the couch with your son. You're terminally ill and you're dying. That said, my mom's a very, I, you know, I'm obviously biased, but objectively, like the people in the hospital liked her so much. And the de her decline was shocking to them because she came in as a super healthy person. And it was so shocking to them that they were, these are people who see and my mom was relatively young. They see people die. I mean, we're in the ICU, right? They see people die literally every day. I could tell through them that it was uncomfortable for them to watch. To the point where her, when, as she was being removed from life support, her, nurse, her nurses were in tears. And her doctor, when he had to tell me that it was terminal, he, he was so apologetic because he felt like 
this is a person who shouldn't have this happen and this is just out of his control, right? It had such a profound impact on them. But I know that they probably don't remember her right now. Like I know that maybe in that moment, she was the most important person to them, right? But I know that like, they probably see one of those every couple of months. And I really respect that they were that emotionally available and that emotionally vulnerable, but having that experience of like, shit, okay. uh, This is the biggest thing in the world to me. Anyways, I know it's not the biggest thing in the world to them. And so it's my responsibility as the person who survived to make sure people remember who the fuck she was. You know, it's my responsibility as a person who survived to, to tell people, hey, to tell that story that I just told you that she had such an impact on the people in the ICU that they, they were actually in tears because they couldn't save her, right? Which is, you know, hopefully the response you would want from any medical professional, but like you understand that they're exposed to this shit so frequently. So anyways, that, that is really what I, I got out of it was this just sense of urgency about like, fuck, I have to tell stories, man. I have to tell people about this stuff. Otherwise it's, it, I'm going to die as I just saw at any time. And these stories are going to die with me. So, damn, yeah. It's so it's just so fleeting. That is an interesting perspective. I mean, what's, what's important to one person may be important in that moment to another person, but then, you know, life is so busy and we're so sti- stimulated that it's just, uh, I, I don't, I don't know. That That's just a heavy thought because, and, and some people might take that the wrong way because it's so personal to you and not personal to someone else. But we got to realize, you know, we're all juggling a million different things and it's only so much we can be present with one each other. But uh, that's a powerful story, man. And, and to bow out here before we do get out of here, do you have any thoughts on advice you would give someone that's grieving right now or going through the grief process that you've learned outside of everything you just told me? Ah, uh, man, just be, um, give yourself grace. And I think that like, uh, let go of expectations for how you're supposed to handle shit. Um, uh, grief is ugly and nonlinear and, um, and just give yourself grace. That's the thing. Like I get DM'd or emailed all the time. People are like, I'm not handling this well. And it's like, you're handling it's the only way you can handle this. Like there's no, there's no, I mean, there are rule books for how you're supposed to handle grief. Um, but you know, it's like, we're, it's a metaphor here that's appropriate. I mean, I would say, you know, it's, you're grasping at straws. Like it's, it's fucking hard. And everybody that's telling you like, oh, like this is, this is the way it's supposed to happen. This is the process it's supposed to, I mean, it's not. And so anyways, I would just, I would just tell people to give themselves grace because it's fucking brutal. It's like the worst thing you're going to have to deal with. Yeah, it's so true. And I feel like there's, you know, there's books, there's advice that even you and me can give. I, I look at them as like guidelines and I look at them as, you know, this is what happens. These are kind of patterns that happen to people, but, you know, it might not, it's not linear, like you said. And it's, you know, it, this might come up, this might not come up. But I also think it's it's nice to look at those because sometimes when you feel a certain way, like, you know, conflicting emotions that may seem egotistical or may seem abnormal to losing someone. I think it's nice to read up on and hear other people's experience for feeling the same thing, whether it's like, I don't know what's normal, but I think it kind of gives people a little bit more of a breath because like, okay, it's it's nice to hear that this does happen, even though it might not happen uh, during some grief formula. Cause I don't think there's a grief formula, even though if you have the stages of grief, whatever, I think it's just things happen. But I love the fact that you're saying, give yourself grace and kind of be easy on yourself because there's no things just, you got to let yourself go through it. So I love that. Yeah. Um, Just, Real quick, uh, yeah. 
when I had my first kid, I was sitting there panicked and because it was, he wasn't putting on weight and it was like this first, it was beginning of the pandemic. Everything was really stressful. And, um, I was like, I, this, I didn't want to give him binkies because like I, pacifiers are like this crutch that I thought parents leaned on or whatever. And so like, I texted my friend and uh, my friend Joseph and I said, Hey man, like, I mean, th- this is like the first couple of days that you have a, a kid at home and you're so hard on yourself. And I was like, Hey man, like I read all this stuff that I'm not supposed to give him pacifiers, but it seems like the pacifier is working. And he was just like, bro, my strategy is whatever works, works. And like, that's, I think the way you have to approach grief, right? Is like grief is very much like this, like child that's going to be in your life for the rest of your life that just unfortunately in reverse was given birth in this terrible moment. And whatever you need to give that thing to pacify it, to help it develop, to help it thrive into something that might be helpful or or useful or healthy for you, whatever works, works. I love that. And, uh, you know, I think to find out whatever works, you got to, uh, you got to put in a little effort and try things. Otherwise, yeah. you know, it's easy to get stagnant and stuck in that place. Uh, Blake, I, I really appreciate you stepping up here, taking the time to chat with me uh, and you know, sharing your journey. It means a lot. And uh, I just want to thank you for being a guest on Dead Talks. And uh, if there's, I'm going to plug all your information on the bottom for anyone that wants to find Blake. I'll share his social media and all that stuff. He puts out some really good content. It's real content. You know, it's personal. It's it's raw, and uh, I think it's done really in a creative way. That you know, I think that's there's a reason why you have the followers you have. You follow people, the followers that you have, because uh, I don't know you, it seems like you put out you know, just real shit. <laughs> so I, I'm grateful for you to share this a little bit on on my podcast. David, thank you so much for sharing your platform with me and giving me this opportunity. And to anybody who's made it this far in the podcast for uh, dealing with my rambling, I appreciate you all, and thank you so much. Yeah. And guys, uh, again, find his information below, check him out. And uh, as usual, thank you for another episode of Dead Talks. I never plug this stuff where people have to say subscribe and all that stuff, but hopefully you are. If you like it, great. If not, appreciate you listening anyway. So another episode of Dead Talks and uh, thanks for being here. Ciao.